again. Welcome to Political Dharma. This is Alan. I recorded this introductory section after I did the live stream of Political Dharma this morning because there were some problems with the technical issues of live streaming. The sound quality you'll notice is not as good. It has kind of an empty room sound. At the beginning there is not enough volume and I took about 10 minutes to fix that because of spending all that time live on air trying to fix the sound uh, I got a little mentally disorganized so it it's not quite the presentation I would hope to be but still I think the volume's good enough you can hear me some of the content is certainly uh, what I what I would was trying to get across is clear so I hope you watch this also I uh, I'm going to have an, another section at the end that I had to record later because transmission frozen at the end of the live stream you just saw my face stuck in one position and the sound died and there was never any proper ending. So I'll come back at the end to say goodbye to you all and put the uh, closing music on. Speaking of which, I want to remember to give a shout out to the composers of the new music for the show, Joey Helpish and my friend Patty Rose. So thank you for the use of that music. I hope you all get something out of this show this week. And here it goes. Hello, good morning. This is uh, Political Dharma, formerly Alan on Politics, even though this is still Alan and the show is still about politics. I decided to change the name of the show, uh, but it's pretty much the same thing, me talking about politics. Good morning to you who have joined me, and uh, for those of you who are watching later via the recorded version of this show or, on a, or listening on a podcast, I welcome you as well. I hope to hear from you in the live chat right now as we're recording live or later on you could put your comments on the uh, Political Dharma YouTube channel underneath this video in its recorded form or go to the uh, Allen on Politics Facebook page which for the moment is still up and put some comments there. So I'd love to hear from you. Last week I was talking about a political agenda Okay, so that agenda included universal basic support, a green economy, and three other things. Now, what I'm going to have to say today is about how to get from where we are now to an agenda like that in place that re represent a significant change from the status quo. And it doesn't matter whether it's my agenda or if it's the agenda, say, of progressives like Bernie Sanders, uh, with uh, Medicare for All and the universal college tuition, forgiveness of college debt, uh, raising the minimum wage, the Green New Deal, or if it's Andrew Yang's agenda of a universal basic income, ranked choice voting, humane capitalism, and the other points he makes, or if it's the agenda of a new political party, such as the uh, proposed People's Party, or an old party like the Green Party, or <laughs> if it's a new party from the Democratic Socialists of America who've been talking about trying to create a workers' party. Any agenda that departs significantly from the status quo is going to run into problems because, number one, our political system has been designed to slow up political change and frustrate majorities, and number two, it's also encrusted now with uh, the role of money. With the role of money in politics, it's very hard to get people elected, very hard to get things passed through the Congress. So the corrupting influence of money is also a problem. So any agenda like this is going to have a real tough time getting into place. And what I've been talking about 
this year starting to talk about anyway is how do we get from here to there given the obstacles of our political system. So last week I talked about an overall strategy which was given that which I just said that it's very difficult to get this get this change through the electoral system what we would need is some kind of mass demonstrations and possibly likely civil disobedience something along the lines of the civil rights movement or Gandhi's uh, movement for Indian independence way back a hundred years or so ago uh, so it would seem like the thing to do is to organize demonstrations and rallies and etc like that and I think at least in one respect that is true that is something that has to be done on the other hand unless you have a larger agenda you're not likely to solve any of these particular problems since it's hard to focus a demonstration unless it's on something in particular so to advance a program that has several points to it you're going to have to go through the electoral process number one because it, you can't have too much of a, a broad focus for a demonstration to get mass participation and number two because most people still regard our electoral system as legitimate and the proper way to gain political change. So the only way you're going to reach most people is through running candidates and elections in order to familiarize them with your agenda and to try to organize people to back that agenda uh, to keep it in the public eye, so to speak. You have to use electoral politics. So the strategy I was proposing was to, in the first place, start running candidates for elections on a particular platform on a, a set of proposals such as the one I mentioned or the other ones from other people and then to at the same time begin organizing people so that they can have a sustained presence and eventually be able to act in a mass way once you hopefully get the political support you need uh, I think there will be crises coming up especially with environmental change with the climate change there will be crises and people will be looking around for a way to pressure for sudden change. So whether the political system can work through pressure from without along with electoral politics, if that's sufficient, or if it's going to take some kind of major crisis to cause the government to uh, change radically and you're prepared with a program to envision that change and put it into place. Either way, it's going to require both demonstrations and electoral politics. Now for demonstrations I think the most likely way for people to get experience about this is to address our most important issue which is climate change and there are already, already movements out there that are trying to organize demonstrations and have been having demonstrations regarding climate change. I tried to look into it a little bit this week to see what was going on about that and it seems like the two movements that have had the most traction in demonstrations and civil disobedience are both led by younger people. The one is the uh, Friday Strikes March of high school students and sometimes college students walking out of classes on Fridays to go down to a federal building or some kind of public area and demonstrate against climate change. That one seems to have lost some steam because of the pandemic. They're not in school. Students are not in school so they can't walk out of school. Uh, it's hard for them to demonstrate. So I think they're just starting to get back in gear. I'm not sure about that. They also had demonstrations at the major UN conferences on climate change. And this year, that one will be in November, right around the same time as the November elections in the United States. Not sure if they have anything planned for that. I hope so. 
the other group is, again, young people, and that was, was the group, the Sunrise Movement, which held a demonstration in Nancy Pelosi's office, the Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States government. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez showed up for that, so they got a lot of publicity. In the meantime, since then, they've been mostly trying to work from the inside to advance their Green New Deal. And with the failure of Joe Biden's, President Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill, it had a lot of climate provisions in it. They are regrouping and trying to determine what they're going to do next. So both of those big movements are kind of in a state of quiescence right now and maybe planning for the future. I'll try to keep on top of that. But I think with that, the best thing to do to prepare for mass demonstrations is simply to support these kind of uh, rallies and marches and demonstrations on behalf of climate change that are being led by young people. If other organizations are doing it as well, I would join in that too. Uh, I just don't think for myself, I have the experience or the wherewithal to, to organize a mass demonstration at this point. So I'm sure they'll be happening and I think we should be joining in to those. Today, I want to talk more about electoral politics, though. If that's a necessary component to keep a broader agenda in the public eye, uh, it also has a great many obstacles that people are pretty familiar with. Whether you're going to work through the Democratic Party or try to work through a third party or an independent candidacy, you find obstacles in your way. The major problem with working in a major party is that the most states you have, you have to be registered in that party in order to vote in the primary, which means to become a nominee of that political party for any particular office, you have to get the backing, not of the general public or just the people who uphold your agenda, but the Democratic Party regulars, the people who are most attached to the party and the most likely to vote for party candidates that are most attached to the party as well. So a candidate who's perceived as from the outside or advancing a different agenda, a, a more radical agenda, is probably not going to be able to gain as much support from Democratic primary voters as he would from maybe a broader public that includes people who have gotten disgusted with the Democratic Party and left it to not vote or to just be an unaffiliated independent voter or to join some other uh, party uh, whatever, wherever they've gone, they're, they're not always in the Democratic Party registered with the party so that they can vote for primary candidates that might be trying to advance their interests. So it's difficult to get your candidates through the primary process to get them on the ballot. And of course, if you run as an independent or as a third party candidate because of our voting method where you only get to pick one candidate and the candidate with the most votes wins, those types of candidates are always kept marginalized. They can't get any traction. Um, people don't take them seriously. Uh, you're either going to have one major party or the other. It's a structural advantage for the two-party system. Other parties can't seem to break through. Once they try to gain a certain percentage of the vote, once they succeed in doing that, they're going to find themselves cast in the role of spoiler and a lot of people turning against them and feeling like, now, look, we've gotten the worst of the two major parties instead of the one we hope for because too many people went off in their own direction. So that usual argument, I don't really buy it, but it's one that a lot of people do. So it creates a obstacle for the tactic of electoral politics. So what do we do? How do we proceed when we know that it's difficult to get anything done given the kind of political system and especially the party system that we have in place?
Well, I need a little caffeine to try to answer that question because it's a big one. Here's where I think, of course, it's complicated. What it really requires is having a different set of tactics for each state in the United States. Not, not a completely different one for every single state, but depending on the particular election laws and party configuration in a state, you would have different tactics. Whenever people try to organize a movement on a national level using the same set of tactics in every state, it's not going to work because their opportunities and obstacles are not the same. It depends a lot on the electoral rules whether or not a tactic is going to work well. So again, the strategy is to try to get people to be taken seriously as candidates so that their agenda gets some attention. If you're a marginal candidate in a third party, trying to promote an agenda isn't going to help if everybody, if the voters simply ignore you or if they, think that, if they associate that agenda with the marginalization of your party. I mean, look how few people voted for that party. There must not be very many people that really support that agenda. So how do you do this? Okay, you got to look at your state and ask a few basic questions. Number one, are you required to register with a political party in order to vote for the major party primaries, in the major party primaries? That's not true in all of the states. In states where you do not have to register with a political party in order to vote in the primaries for the major party candidates, you have a tactical advantage in that you don't have to organize people within a party. You don't have to rely on either trying to get a lot of Democratic primary voters behind your agenda or trying to work through a third party. You can simply get your followers of your agenda, the people who back your agenda, to all vote together for a major party candidate in the primary, and then they can vote for whichever candidate they want in the general election. So you, have, you don't have that problem of primary elections in the same way. You still have the problem of uh, money in politics, which is something I hope to get to either later today or in a future show. But it gives you an advantage in that you don't have to uh, have people, encourage people to register with the political party, either to keep your small party on the ballot or to get enough people to back a particular agenda within the membership of a certain party. I hope I was clear on that. I don't feel like I entirely was, but the idea is you got to look at your state and ask that question first. Do you have to register with the party? In most states, you do have to register with the party, but some you don't. I think it's around 20 of the 50 states that you don't have to register with the political party. Uh, here in Oregon, you do have to register with the party, so uh, that makes it more difficult for you. Another question to ask is whether your state has an electoral system that's different from the usual pick one, most votes wins system. Some states have already enacted ranked choice voting, and that makes it possible, more possible, for third party or independent candidates to run a serious campaign and get attention and try to build on what support they have through uh, election cycles over time. If they can show that their percentage of the vote is growing, they can be taken more seriously and therefore their agenda will have a better chance of reaching the public and be taken seriously as well. So if you're in a, um, if you're in a district that has ranked choice voting or some other type of voting system other than the one we're most familiar with, you have an opportunity there 
to run candidates. If you can't get a good major party candidate to back, you can run candidates with a third party or as independents. And you still tended, you have a chance of being taken seriously if you can run a serious campaign. Finally, maybe not finally, in those many states where you do not have an alternative voting system, and ranked choice voting would be one, star voting is, I think, a better one. Uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you can look and see if your state allows citizen initiatives in order to change the voting method from the standard pick one the most votes wins to an alternative voting system where you can show preferences between different candidates. I mentioned ranked choice voting. In ranked choice voting, you can rank candidates in the order of your preference, which means that you can give top preference to a candidate who backs your agenda, even though they don't have as good a chance of winning, and still show that if that one doesn't make it, you have a preference for another candidate who's maybe closer to your position than the other major party candidate. So ranked choice voting allows you more freedom to express your preferences more clearly, and you can utilize that. So if you don't have something like that in your state, and they have an initiative process, which about half the states do, you should get involved in the initiative process to change the voting method. If they don't already have a strong movement for ranked choice voting, I would recommend looking into star voting and forming an initiative petition around star voting. Uh, but if it already has a ranked choice voting or some other system like uh, alternative vote, there's uh, some score voting in some places and there is approval voting in some places. There's different forms of voting. If they have a strong movement already going to bring those to your state, then you should get involved in that because if that can get passed, it gives you an opportunity then to run more successfully candidates in elections who can advance your agenda and try to organize people around it. All right, so number one, you're looking at whether you have to register with the party to participate in the primary. Number two, you're looking to see if your state has an alternative voting method that you could use strategically. Um, the, so a lot of states are starting to implement a top two system as well. I'm not sure if that's as good, uh, but it could be adjusted to be made better by initiative as well. So look into the voting method in your state and see if there's ways to improve it. And finally, you, uh, uh, I'm losing the thread again. <laughs> got, got set off on the wrong foot by that sound problem. Uh, so you look at your state to see if you need to register with the party. You look at your state to see if you can change things through the initiative process. And then I guess that was them. If it comes to me later, I'll let you know. So take a breath. Okay, so strategically, it depends in your state on the particular configuration of electoral rules. And you should look into that and figure that out before you decide on the best tactic for who to vote for or which candidates to back. Now, if you're in a situation where you're able to help a candidate because you, you see an opportunity, you're in a state maybe where only working through the Democratic Party is going to work, and so you're trying to find the best primary candidate to back, um, what you're going to find is that money is going to be the issue, right? That's one issue. It, same thing if you're in another state where there's an opportunity to run an independent candidate or a third-party candidate without as much of a worry about the spoiler problem because you have an alternative voting method. 
if you're backing a third-party candidate or an independent candidate, uh, it should be in a place where it's strategically or tactically better. But again, you're not going to be able to raise as much money to get people through the process. Uh, anyone from a major party who wins is going to have the money advantage. They'll be able to get a lot of media time and be taken seriously because they have money in the bank. That's just a fact of life and politics. So how do you get around the money problem? Well, the only alternative to having lots of money is having lots of people. And the problem is that candidates who have been able to draw together a wide spectrum of people, like Bernie Sanders or a lot of other progressive candidates, have not translated that support into an ongoing organization. So it's important to form alliances, organizations of some kind, whether they're informal, like networks of discussion or coalitions between groups, or it's something more formal, like you actually have the opportunity to create a new party with this agenda because it's in that state you have an opportunity to advance candidates that way. However you backing candidates, you should be doing it in a way that's organized independently from that candidate. Because if you simply rely on backing candidates on a one-time, uh, one-at-a-time basis, you'll bring together a lot of people and mobilize a lot of support, ideally. But once that candidacy is over, whether they've lost or been elected, that support dissipates and you can't carry it over to other candidates. You have to start from scratch and you have to wait for another candidate to come along and organize it. Usually what they have, they raise money and they buy a professional staff or at least a staff that can help them do this. And the staff does the legwork of creating the, uh, of bringing people together around the candidacy. So in order to get around the money problem, what you have to do is create an independent organization that's not tied to particular candidates. And you should encourage candidates and back candidates who use this strategy of advancing an agenda at the same time encouraging their supporters to join an organization that backs that agenda and not simply backs that candidate. If you have an ongoing set of people who are always backing people who come the closest to their agenda, they will be able to maintain a network that can come into place more quickly to back a candidate and already have the experience and the uh, resources they can bring together quickly to help candidates in the future. So it's much better to have an independent organization of some kind, rather informal or more formalized, in order to back candidates than to simply let candidates take the initiative. So those are the things that I would recommend as tactical decisions. Um, I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit. It's 9.30, probably time for questions. Uh, let's see what you got to say out there. Again, what I'm trying to say here is that tactics for electoral politics have to be different depending on the electoral situation in your state. And I don't mean just which party has the advantage or what issues are important. Those obviously make a difference, but the electoral laws, the party configuration, all that is even more important. That's number one. Number two, to get around the money problem, you have to create ongoing sets of connections between people backing the same agenda. So I see some people on the chat here. How many people we got with us? Let's take a look. 
So we got any questions out there? Anyone out there? How close are we to ranked choice voting in Oregon? Well, we actually have ranked choice voting in one county for a county race that's a partisan race, meaning candidates run on particular with particular parties. That's the one that we got passed in 2016 in uh, up in Corvallis. What's the name of the Benton County is the county there. So we have it in one one area. Now, how close are we to getting it statewide? That's a whole different question. I think we would be a lot closer, except for the invention of star voting, because a lot of people who formerly backed ranked choice voting have gone over to backing star voting, but some have remained with ranked choice voting, so they've become, instead of working together, there's a competition between the two. And neither side so far has been willing to go along with the other. I think the ranked choice voting people, uh, among other reasons that they might have, a big reason that keeps them backing that is they feel like star voting is too new and untested, where we already have a foot in the door with ranked choice voting and a lot of experience with it in other places, so that we should stick with the known quantity rather than going with something new. On the other hand, the people who are backing star voting, such as myself, make the case that star voting is an improvement over ranked choice voting in a number of ways. And it has its greatest foothold here in Oregon because this is where it was invented. This is where the movement for it got started. It has a lot of support in Oregon. So we should, if we're going to get star voting tried anywhere, it's going to be here. So they've been backing that and uh, there's been a stalemate between the two. I think that's keeping things from moving forward. So it's really unfortunate. I haven't figured out a way around it. Nobody else has. Um, at some point, <laughs> either it's going to get stymied and nothing's going to happen. It's just the movement's going to die down. I doubt if that's going to happen because people are too passionate about this and getting more passionate. Or one is going to prevail over the other. I'm not sure how this is going to resolve, but I, I, it's hard to say when it's going to get resolved or how it's going to get resolved because where it's at right now. Uh, there are other states in which rank, uh, star voting is getting a foothold as well, so it's getting closer uh, to coming into actual practice, which would help a lot. Okay, so that's about the point at which the live stream this morning just got frozen and never ended properly. The only thing I'd like to add is that uh, you can leave comments on this show on the Political Dharma YouTube channel underneath the video, or you can go to the old Alan on Politics YouTube, uh, Alan on Politics Facebook page. I haven't changed the name on that yet, and leave comments there. Uh, next week, maybe I will recap the important points from this week, just to make sure they were clear, or to help clarify them. And I uh, hope you return Saturday morning, 9 a.m. If you want to watch the live stream and. I hope you're not watching me fumble around with the sound again next week. Open the technical issues, get sorted out. Hope you join me. If not, you'll see me in the recorded version or you'll hear me in the recorded podcast. So thanks for listening or thanks for watching or just thanks for being out there. All right. Bye. Our self-worth is a passenger on this vehicle earth With ease I see the chains are breaking We gained our focus, the moves we're making We'll prove to determine Our self-worth is a passenger on this vehicle earth